Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about Morocco appointing the relatively inexperienced Walid Regragi as their coach ahead of the World Cup. We also look at Egyptian giants Al Ahly sacking Portuguese manager Ricardo Suarez after just two months in the job. And we have part two of our interview with Zambia's dancing pastor. That's Pastor Peter Makembo, who leads the supporters in singing at international matches. Where I see the, the atmosphere is not conducive. When they see me going to, to, to them, they also float in that love song which I'm portraying. As coming later, also Stuart on the English Premier League as Manchester United signed two Brazilian players. And at first, as the transfer window closed on Thursday night, African moves included Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang moving back to the English Premier League, joining Chelsea. As Senegal's Idrissa Gay says it feels like coming home as he rejoined Everton from Paris Saint-Germain and Ivory Coast defender Willy Bolly joined Nottingham Forest from Wolves on Thursday night. Now, Morocco have appointed Walid Regragui as their new national team coach ahead of the World Cup in November. Regragui won the African Champions League with Wilad Casablanca in May and also then won the domestic league title. He's 46, much less experienced than his predecessor, Valid Halihodzic, the Bosnian who parted ways with Morocco earlier this month. So a bold move, Ida. Regragi is highly rated, but uh, taking a team to the World Cup is not easy. Not in the slightest, Steve, but really amazing that in a historic move for the continent, well, Regragi signing on to be the Moroccan national coach means that all five African teams at the World Cup this year will be handled by local coaches. We have Regragi for Morocco joining the list that sees Aliou Cisse for Senegal, Otto Addo for Ghana, Rigo Batsong with Cameroon, and Jalel Kadri with Tunisia. Regragi is Morocco's first national coach since 2016, and as you've said, Steve, he comes into this off the back of double success for Widad that was in his one season there. He is pretty familiar with uh, the national team, first as a former player, but also his first job post his playing days, I will say, was as assistant coach of the Moroccan national team. That was for a year back in 2012, and that was when Rashid Taoussi was head coach. After that, Regragi went on to become the head coach of FUS Rabat until 2020, and then he moved to Qatar, where he coached the top-tier side Al Duhail. Steve, it's thought that one of the main reasons behind the departure of Halil Hojij was the differences of opinion, you know, surrounding specific players, that being Hakim Ziyech and uh, Mazraoui of Bayern Munich, and of course, this resulted in, you know, preparations for Qatar being 50-50. It's thought that Ziek and Mazraoui had disciplinary issues with uh, the previous coach. And their horrible relationship with him 
pretty much saw Ziyech leave the Atlas Lions, you know, but it is now thought, and it's definitely hoped by the Moroccans, that Regragi's entry will convince the players to make a U-turn. It's just three months or so to the World Cup. It's really, really crucial time. So it's not only the upcoming World Cup, but Regragi's contract will also cover the 2024 Afghan. It will also cover the 2026 World Cup. But look, for the next bit, all eyes on Qatar and uh, whether Regragi can either match or even eclipse Morocco's best performance. And that was back in 1986. And that was when they got to the round of 16. Before that, well, the Atlas Lions will take on Chile. They will take on Paraguay as well. That will be in friendly matches in September as part of their preparations. Yes, good-looking preparations and amazing that as it stands, all five coaches of the African teams at the World Cup this year will be local coaches. Well, staying with coaches in North Africa, Egyptian giants Al Ahly have sacked their Portuguese manager Ricardo Suarez after just two months in the job. Suarez was appointed in June, taking over from South African Pizzo Massimani, who took Al Ahly to two Champions League titles but lost this season's final to Widad Casablanca. Al-Ahli finished only third in the Egyptian league under Suarez, and that saw him fired. So keeping Pizzo Massimani would have been better for Al-Ahli by the looks of it, maybe, Ida. Look, I agree, Steve, because how did the alternative go? Al-Ahli's performances didn't improve. The club finished third anyway, which is where they were when uh, Suarez took charge. And they're actually worse off now, if you ask me at least, because... Any semblance of stability, any traction the club had managed to get, you know, courtesy of Pizzo steering that ship for close to two years, I mean, they've now lost. And it goes back to this quick fix mentality, and not just in sport, but everywhere, really, because Pizzo had already gotten them so much silverware, and granted, yes, the league was a particular pain point, but what's better, to remove someone that's figured out the system and brings in a sense of stability despite, you know, a few glitches here and there or remove that person entirely and bring in a totally new coach that leaves after eight weeks with nothing. But as we know, North African football waits for no man, <laughs> let alone Suarez. So he took charge of 16 matches. He won eight, drew five, he lost three. And with Al Ali finishing third in the league, it was actually the first time they missed out on the top two for the first time in 30 years. Not to mention that they lost the Egyptian Cup final to Zamalek. That loss under Suarez. And look, had fate or luck had it differently, Steve, then Al Ali wouldn't even be taking part in the CAF Champions League with that third place finish. The only reason they are is because the Egyptian Football Association chose participating teams based on results from the first half of the season because the CAF deadline for the countries and the FAs to send in participating teams was approaching and their league was not done yet. So we'd be talking an entirely different story right now. Right. Interesting. Thanks, Ida. And certainly expectations are always very high in Egyptian football. 
We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to social media. And last week we asked, what's your favourite nickname in African football? This as there are plans to change the nickname of Benin's national team from the Squirrels to the Cheetahs. It's felt by some that Squirrels is not intimidating enough, but it is one of those legendary nicknames for national teams that have been a part of the fun and excitement of African football. So we asked, what's your favourite nickname for a club or a national team in African football? Well, first, we had many comments on Facebook and some focused on whether changing a nickname will actually make any difference for Benin. Uh, Mum's son in Zimbabwe said uh, you can call them vampires of Benin and then they'll scarily and fictitiously lift the World Cup. Uh, Tawanda Mutabwe in South Africa says if they want a nickname that's intimidating, they should try the Black Anacondas of Benin. Uh, Alex Amin in South Sudan said if uh, that's what you think will create an impact in the team, it's all well and good. As Africans, we believe in the names with great influence and a history of bravery. If that does really improve the team's performances, then I will go along with that. But otherwise, I think the name alone isn't enough and much more is required to bring you results, says Alex. And Ubong Ua in Nigeria says the nickname doesn't matter. If you change the Brazil team's nickname, they'll still do well at the World Cup. Africa should work hard on the teams, not on the nicknames. But then uh, many do enjoy these colourful nicknames in African football and there are many proud Nigerians who got in touch with us saying they love the nickname the Super Eagles. Uh, they include Desmond Kabari Depres who says, by our name you'll know us. The Eagles soar high in altitude. The great Super Eagles of Nigeria, said Desmond. Uh, Cletus Etido in Nigeria says, my two favourites are the Super Eagles, also the indomitable Lions of Cameroon, says Cletus. Uh, Joseph Okafor in Zambia says Chipolo Polo is a funny nickname. I like it, even though I'm Nigerian. And uh, Zagpata Salami Samuel in Ghana says I love that nickname, Chipolo Polo of Zambia. That's my all-time favourite. And uh, Chipolo Polo meaning the copper bullets. Uh, then Maya Gur Mayadit uh, says the bright stars of South Sudan, indeed we shine. And Lester Copper in Malawi says the flames of Malawi is my favourite. We are the roughest part of the fire. Don't try touching us, says Lester. Uh, Sadiq Abubakar says, I'm from Nigeria, but my favourite nickname is the Elephants of Ivory Coast. And Abdallah Chernosad in the Gambia says, for me it's the Scorpions of the Gambia and the Atlas Lions of Morocco. In Botswana, Esko Sitabuli says, My favourites are the Zebras and the Mares of Botswana. Uh, that's the men's and women's national team's nicknames. And Vivian Madada in Zimbabwe says, Anything with lion does it for me. So the Lions of Taranga and the Indomitable Lions. Uh, I'm from Zimbabwe and we, by the way, are the Warriors, says Vivian Madada. Indeed, uh, in Sierra Leone, Kelo Turai says, I thank God my national team's nickname is not named after an animal. We are the Leone stars of Sierra Leone. Uh, Lucas Caillou in Namibia loves the brave warriors of Namibia's nickname. Albert Osito in Kenya says the Harambe stars. Harambe means let's pull together. And Alamin Soe in the Gambia says the scorpions of the Gambia is my favorite. And also being patriotic in Ghana is Akpoik Barnabas says for me, yes, it's the black stars of Ghana, my favorite. And Moses Omai in Nigeria says I love 
love Bafana Bafana of South Africa. That's another colourful nickname, Bafana Bafana, meaning the boys. And、uh, finally, something very different in this voice note from Balong Baji in the Gambia.、Um, my favourite nickname for a football club is Magdufo, which is in Wolof, and in English it means elders don't joke.、Um, it was a local Navidan team which I played for in my village called Banjulunding. Oh, the elders don't joke. A lovely story there from Balong Baji. Thanks so much to everyone who got in touch. You can read more on this on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, on people's favourite nicknames in African football. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League as Manchester United signed two Brazilians. Now to part two of a fascinating interview from Zambia. This is the sound of the country's sports supporters group, led by a man known as the Dancing Pastor. That's Pastor Peter Makembo. He's a famous figure in Zambia and beyond.、Uh, Pastor Makembo is seen dancing in the terraces at sports events, especially football games. He leads a band and is ever present at all matches, home and abroad, where Zambia are playing. Now Patrick Nyangulu spoke to the dancing pastor in Lusaka in Zambia. Last week we heard how he felt called by God to train for three years as a pastor, and then to lead a supporters group to change the way that fans could be abusive towards the national team rather than encouraging them. This week we hear how Makembo survived a life-threatening spinal illness last year. And first, why he feels that he should be a pastor who dances in the terraces at football matches. Yes, it's for the glory of God. God uses people on different levels. In my case, He uses me in dancing. He uses me in in in, in drumming up such kind of the support. And when I'm there, Patrick, it's the anointing level which floats into me. And the, when he, when I'm at the peak there, when the Holy Spirit takes over, I don't see which direction the go the boy is going. That my team will be going heading that direction. Me, I'm, I'm focusing to somewhere where I see the the atmosphere is not conducive. When they see me going to 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 them, they also float in that love song which I'm portraying before them. I quickly change the songs there. With my machinery,、uh, I push in a gospel song.、Uh, when I know to say that I'm getting up with the gospel, I push in the Chipotle song. And and when when they're there again, when they're floating, that I change into gospel, and we mingle so so easily, such such a way that that noise, that unpalatable way is ushered to to the to, to the team. It's not there. By the time they will be thinking of that, they will find the atmosphere. People are just dancing there. They're in in a gospel mood. They're just in chipotle mood,、uh, giving that extra hand to, to 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 the team. That is my area of rotation. Yeah, you have made a huge impact on uh, Zambian uh, sports uh, uh, scene. Twenty twenty one was a very difficult、uh, year for you. You were hospitalized、uh, for some time, and.、Uh, Everyone almost losing hope that、uh, Pastor Peter Makembo would not come back out of hospital alive. Did you have faith that he would come back? For sure, I had it, Patrick. 
and uh, God was just busy showing me the visions of one area to another to say, look here now, where you are. That operation, it took nine hours for me, not knowing where I was. I was in coma. And uh, being in coma, uh, people, those who heard of me, they were busy throwing in the prayers of quick healing on me. And uh, I was receiving them while I was in that in, in that hospital. And uh, those best wishes and those who were coming physically to visit me, they played a very big role. And those who were at a distance who could not reach me out, they played a very, very big role in, in my process of healing. And in that process of healing, uh, when others thought to say for sure, just like the way you put it to say, I was not going to come back live. And here I am today speaking to you. I'm back and I had unfinished business, which God said, now I've shown you what you are. Well, I was in hospital there. I saw so many difficulties, uh, the types of sicknesses there. So I'm a good ambassador to, to encourage others to say, when you go sick, know to say God is there. And when God is there, when he says you will move, for sure, you will move in the direction that God wants. When it's not your time, it's not your time. I can see, after healing, now you've got some stitches because of the good works of the doctors that attended to you. Somehow, you limp a bit, but back in the terraces, dancing. Don't you think you're betraying the God that uh, you trusted so much? No, that is the area that he has called me for. It's like a player, when a player is injured, in, in, in case of football, when a player is injured, he gets off the pitch, and he gets healed, and he comes back to play. That's the same thing with me. God healed me, and I'm back to my to my area of operation. Uh, that operation, it's where God had to mend me to say, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing you for another stage. And that another stage is what he has started doing in me to cut the burden which my, my foreign, in case of soccer, to qualify to the World Cup. In case of these other athletes, to get more medals uh, to bring on the land. And that has been my area of concern. That area of concern, uh, it is what makes me to move before you, the media, to say, oh, in Zambia, I've got that man. And that man, that is his calling. Today, I'm even happy myself to say, uh, when God takes me, when that time comes, he will say, no, pastor, you have done your part. Come and rest. I'll rest. But before he calls me, I've got unfinished business in me, which is using it to me to say, you are the right voice to encourage the other associations to say, let us move. This is the way Zambia is able to move. Uh, at times I find it so difficult to maneuver around, but I make sure to say, God, you have sent me in this area. Provide me the materials. Provide me what I need. Provide me, give me what I am looking for, for you, for me to carry your duties that you have wanted me to say. This is why at one time, Patrick, uh, you saw me going to our first Republican president. At that particular time, when I was a player, 
fans who behaved so badly towards our first Republican president, may so rest in peace, uh, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. We had thrown some unparatable weights towards him, even oranges, bananas, when we are moving from one party to another to, to mouth party. And that area did not go well with the KK. KK was detached from watching football. But God used me to say, now you see, you are now a leader of the fans. Go and meet that man. Meet him and apologize to him. You cannot do away with the elders. The name of KK was even given to the our national soccer team. So Patrick, by the time when we went to Kenneth Kaunda, he agreed and we honored him with our national regalia. In return, he gave me that white handkerchief, which you normally see me with. It was from him to say, Pastor Gwandi preached love, peace, and unity. And those three beacons, that are the ones which God has planted in me to bring upon God's people love, peace, and unity. Well, that is the dancing pastor, Zambian pastor Peter Makambo, speaking to Patrick Nyangulu in Lusaka in Zambia. Uh, some background there in that interview. He was talking about KK, that's Zambia's first president, Kenneth Kaonda, and uh, the national team was known in his day as the KK-11. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK and Manchester United Arsenal on Sunday is this weekend's big game in the English Premier League and it comes after some exciting midweek contests with back-to-back hat-tricks for Erling Haaland for Man City and that late-late equaliser for Liverpool against Newcastle. Well, yes, indeed, Steve. Where can you start except with uh, Erling Haaland? What an amazing week. Manchester City, two down at home to Newcastle. He scores three goals, which turned a two-goal deficit into a victory. And that's the first time anyone has done that since Wayne Rooney got a hat-trick from Manchester United in 2011 to win a game for them. And then in the next game, in the first half, he scores another hat-trick. And... You know, Manchester City can't stop scoring goals. That made him the eighth Manchester City player to score three goals in a league game in the last three years. But with Manchester City having beaten newly promoted Bournemouth 4-0 and Nottingham Forest 6-0, the other promoted club, Fulham, must be dreading their visit to the Etihad. Now, Nottingham Forest lost 2-0 at home to Tottenham and then 6-0 away to Manchester City. And the respected UK football writer Henry Winter said of the Spurs game that Forrest played attractive, fluid and inventive football, but Spurs were disciplined, technically astute and clinical. Whether Forrest can survive trying to play this attractive football with a squad assembled newly uh, this summer remains to be seen. Now, Thursday saw the close of a very busy transfer window for English Premier League clubs. Manchester United, two big Brazilian signings, Anthony and Casemiro. Uh, what can we expect uh, for them to do for Man United, Stuart? Having apparently failed to persuade Barcelona's Dutch midfield player Frankie de Jong, Manchester United have now paid $90 million for Casemiro. The 30-year-old Brazilian has played over 200 games for Real Madrid, whom he joined as a 20-year-old, and he's had 60 caps for Brazil. During his Madrid career, he won the league three times and the Champions League five times, where he was part of that fearsome Real Madrid midfield trio of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. 
So certainly he's a winner. He's what you might call a defensive midfield player who will add protection to the United defence. But he's also scored 20 goals in La Liga. And his presence should give more freedom to Bruno Fernandes to get forward. We understand that one of the reasons he joins Manchester United is that he's been paid about $400,000 a week. Compared to de Jong, Casemiro has much more experience, knows how to win trophies, but he's five years older than the Dutchman, which obviously means the length of his career at Old Trafford will be shorter. But I think Manchester United are looking for results now. And as you say, United signed another Brazilian, Anthony from Ten Hag's old club Ajax in Netherlands. I have to confess that I don't know a lot about Anthony. He grew up in poverty in Sao Paulo, Brazil, played for Sao Paulo for two seasons before going to Ajax Amsterdam, where he played under Ten Hag for two seasons. He's still only 22. He scored 18 league goals in Netherlands, which is a goal every three games. He's made nine appearances for Brazil, He's costing Manchester United, we're told, $92 million, which is an awful lot for a player with limited international experience who has yet to play in any of the European top leagues. And the BBC reports that this is the fourth most expensive signing in Premier League history after Paul Pogba's move to Manchester United, Chelsea's signing of Romelu Lukaku, and Manchester City's uh, fee to Aston Villa for Jack Grealish. And arguably, none of those three could be said to be an unqualified success. Now, asked about the pressure of playing football, Anthony replied, Real pressure was when I lived in the favela, Brazilian slum, not sure when I'd be able to eat again. Hmm. Puts football in perspective. Two excellent players, but the big question is how quickly will they adjust to the Premier League? And one interesting aspect of the summer transfer window is the number of Brazilians who are now playing in the Premier League. I think there are 25, with 14 of the 20 clubs having at least one. Casemiro and Anthony have joined Fred at Manchester United, but Arsenal are top of this league, with four Brazilians, three of them called Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Martinelli, and plain Gabriel, uh, as well as Marquinhos. Interesting how clubs are now going for Brazilians, Steve. Well, lots of Brazilians there, and interesting to see if Manchester United signings will pay off. And a Bournemouth fired coach Scott Parker after their 9-0 loss to Liverpool last weekend, uh, the scoreline equaling the record for the biggest English Premier League win, and left newly promoted Bournemouth with one win and three defeats. Uh, did Bournemouth do the right thing to fire Scott Parker, Stuart? I think the firing of Scott Parker as Bournemouth manager after four Premier League games is frankly complete nonsense. Bournemouth started their Premier League season with a win over Aston Villa. They then found themselves away to the champions Manchester City, at home to league leaders Arsenal and away to Liverpool, three of the hardest games of the season. You know, lots of teams will concede four at Manchester City. Of course, losing 9-0 at Liverpool was hard to take, but these results happen. And remember, Ralph Hasenhüttl's Southampton twice lost 9-0. He's still in a job and perceived to be doing well. But as we've said before, it's not the games against Manchester City, Liverpool and Arsenal which will determine Bournemouth's fate, but how many points they can pick up 
against middle to bottom of the table teams that will see them survive or, or otherwise. I also understand that Parker's comment that Bournemouth would suffer more big losses this season as the squad was not good enough did not go down well with the club's owners. But perhaps Parker was just being honest and realistic. Bournemouth have only added two players to their promotion squad, so you could say that Parker's comments were fair. Parker was a midfield player who played for West Ham, Chelsea, Tottenham, Newcastle. As a manager, he's only had two jobs. Fulham, 2019-21, Fulham were promoted in his first season from the Championship and relegated in his second season from the Premier League. He left Fulham and went to Bournemouth and got them promoted in his first season and then was fired. Now, in the first game, without Parker, Bournemouth drew nil-nil with Wolves to leave them four points from five games. And their next seven games are against Brighton, Newcastle, Brentford, Leicester, Fulham, Southampton. All potentially winnable games, which to me makes the timing of the firing of Scott Parker even stranger. Well, thanks, Stuart. And we're taking your views on this on social media this week. Were Bournemouth wise to fire Scott Parker? What do you think? He's the first manager to be fired this season after just four games. Uh, 9-0 loss to Liverpool. Embarrassing, but uh, difficult fixtures, as Stuart was saying. Or was it best for them to move early so that they can focus on the remainder of the season. You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Were Bournemouth wise to fire Scott Parker? Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.